podcast one production. Having children can send our hormones into a complete tailspin. I remember when I went to the doctor to confirm I was pregnant with baby number two, he said to me, well, congratulations, you are pregnant, but the bad news is you've got hyperthyroidism. And I just remember feeling so frustrated. I mean, I've eaten healthy my whole life. I've exercised, I've ticked all the boxes, done all the right things. And yet I still had this hormone imbalance. And look, I know there are a lot of mums out there that after having children, we are left with a legacy of these hormone imbalances. And I really want to get to the bottom of why this happens. This is Healthy Her with Amelia Phillips. And in this episode, I want to get a perspective from someone who specialises in hormone health and its effect on the female body. Michelle Chevalier-Hedge is a clinical nutritionist, speaker and author. She's a wealth of not only incredible knowledge, but also practical strategies that we can implement today to balance out our hormones and to get our energy levels back on track. Plus, she's a mum of three hungry teenagers, so has lots of first-hand experience. Hi, Michelle. Thanks so much for coming on today. Hi, Amelia. Thanks for having me. What a joy. You have written two books. You've written The Healthy Hormone Diet and Eat, Drink, and still shrink. I love the sound Mm. of that. Plus, you've worked with hundreds of busy mums. What are some of the daily complaints and and the daily issues that you hear when you have these mums come in in your clinical practice? Oh, absolutely. We would see hundreds of patients per week in our clinical practices. So the main complaints are often being bloated, energy, sleep deprivation. So When I wrote The Healthy Hormone Diet, it was specifically around that because what I want women to stop doing is stop beating themselves up and realize that hormones are incredibly powerful things and they're very much impacted by what we eat and our lifestyle. So if we can budge or improve our hormones, not just our sex hormones, but all of our hormones, then we can create true wellness. So when I'm talking about hormones, I'm talking about serotonin, which is actually a neurotransmitter, but we call it the happy hormone. We're talking about cortisol, the stress hormone, insulin, our fat storage hormone, as well as our testosterone, our estrogen, our progesterone. So when I talk about hormones, I talk about all of them because when one goes out, often another goes out. And what kind of things will make a hormone go out? And what do you mean by going out? Okay, great. So let's just take, for example, the hormone of insulin, right? So we call that the the queen of fat storage. So the hormone of insulin, we know when it goes out, when we become incredibly weight loss resistant, right? We can become all of a sudden the type of person that looks at a piece of bread and gains weight or looks at a piece of rice and gains weight. Um, Insulin resistance has big links to many other things, but people think that insulin resistance comes about just purely from a poor diet and hidden sugars, but that's not the case. Stress and sleep can affect your insulin as much as poor food choices. Now, what young mother doesn't have a combination of some poor food choices, lack of sleep, of course, lack of sleep leads lack of exercise and poor food choices, and stress. Mm. 
Oh, it's the trifecta. The trifecta, right? So absolutely. So let me give you a perfect example of of me in my world in my 30s, right? So I would have a disrupted night of sleep due to having three babies. So I'd be finding dummies. I'd be changing nappies. I'd get up in the morning at 5.30 having to know that I had to get to the spin class. On the way to spin class, I would have road rage. When I got to the spin class, I'd have bicycle rage. When I got home, I'd be having, you know, three triple shot lattes. And um, so, and, and life would go on, right? So then you might head to work and you're trying to meet your KPIs or, you know, have some meetings. And then you think about, oh dear, I missed my parents' anniversary on the weekend. And what about, did I feed my son breakfast before he went to school? So in our mind, we have all these perceived stresses. They may not be the physical stresses that the caveman had where the blood glucose, the cortisol would go up and our glucose levels would come up so that we could kill a saber-toothed tiger because that was our physical stress. And that's how the body is meant to work. Nowadays, that stress is in our mind from the time we wake up to the time we soothe ourselves with a glass of Pinot at the end of the day. So that perceived stress is the adrenal glands are going, the cortisol is pumping, the glucose is pumping. The same glucose that comes from hidden sugars, but now it's just coming from stress. And then you add poor sleep on top of it, which also disrupts your insulin. And this is why we have a cascade of people having really serious um, weight, stubborn weight loss, polycystic ovary syndrome, lots of issues with insulin. So we know that insulin goes out. Many other of our hormones go out as well. Not to mention our stress hormone cortisol, right? When that is running at really, really high levels, we call that it does a progesterone steal. And progesterone is all about baby making. We need our progesterone to be nice and healthy to create babies. And also progesterone is our calming hormone. So everything has a knock-on effect. And you know, what you said earlier about the power that hormones have on us can't be underestimated. And that feeling of at the end of the day, when you're just craving sugar and you'll jump in the car and drive to the 7-Eleven to <laughs> you know, get the Magnum is, is one of the many examples of how powerful hormones can be. Absolutely. Just um, circling back to insulin resistance, how can somebody go and get tested for insulin resistance or how would we know if we are insulin resistant? Mm. I think it's really important for women to make sure that they have an annual or biannual um, checkup. So whether that be with their GP or a functional medicine doctor or or a team of practitioners like my practitioners, we're nutritional medicine practitioners. And they actually take a little bit of a dive into your blood pathology. Of course, we look at signs and symptoms, anxiety, depression, bloating, et cetera, et cetera. We, we take that clinical presentation. But I think it's also really good to have a look at your blood pathology because quite often, particularly after having babies, another hormone goes out of whack. And that's our thyroid hormone, our hormone of metabolism, right? So we have one out of four women, Amelia, in Australia suffering from a subclinical thyroid condition. Now, often a GP will look at their TSH, their thyroid stimulating hormone, and go, oh, darling, it's fine. But through a functional medicine 
practitioner's eyes or a nutritional eye is what we want to do is preventative well-being. So I don't want somebody's thyroid just slugging along, making this person feel like they're swimming through mud despite 10 hours sleep. People who have a subclinical thyroid condition, they're exhausted. They're in brain fog. They don't have energy. They think that they have anxiety and depression. And quite often, a doctor is suggesting for them to go on that medication. So, and they haven't taken a deep dive into looking at exactly what's going on with the thyroid. But the thyroid will often go out after pregnancy. It can go out and then blip back in. But here's a perfect example of, of the things that we talk about in the healthy hormone diet is, When our thyroid gets sluggish, our thyroid really likes selenium and iodine. And where we get that is when we're eating a diet full of whole foods, real foods, unpackaged and unprocessed as often as possible. Sure, can we supplement with selenium and iodine and do we? Yes, but we prefer people to go on a real whole diet that's yummy and nourishing that gets rid of gluten and dairy for a little while. Not that I discriminate against gluten and dairy, but sometimes taking away those things for 28 days leads to less inflammation in the body. And our thyroid can become highly inflamed. So let's take away those two things, add an abundance of food, but make it real, whole, healthy, full of antioxidants, full of fiber, and feed that woman's soul on every level. So with hormone imbalances, how long does it take for the body to readjust and come back to normal? Amelia, the body is such an amazing thing that some people can change numbers on their blood pathology within four weeks of changing their diet and eliminating some excesses they might have had. So for example, in the book, The Healthy Hormone Diet, there's eight different case studies of real people, real clients, just like many of you that are listening. So moms, business people, etc. So some might have an insulin issue, some might have a thyroid issue, some might have a cortisol issue. We measure all the blood pathology, which is what I truly recommend for every person to have that done annually or biannually, full blood tests, thyroid, liver function, cortisol, fasting insulin, fasting glucose. In our clinical practice, we can see changes in insulin. We can see changes in glucose. We can see changes in thyroid in four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. Are we ever going to cure a disease? No. Will we help somebody gain joy de vie and life and improvements? Absolutely. So for example, somebody that has Hashimoto's or Graves disease dealing with a thyroid condition, will we cure that or could they go into remission? Possibly. But are we going to give them a lot of energy back and a lot of more brain clarity? Absolutely. Four to six weeks, eight weeks. Again, everybody's bio-individual, but we get pretty good results depending on how compliant the patient is. Well, that sounds magical. And I would love for everyone out there to have a beautiful whole food diet. But when you're getting home from work at 6.30 at night and you realise that you forgot to order the online (laughs) or you drove past Woolies because you had to get to daycare in time before it closes down. 
And look, you experience this every day with your clients. How can we eat a whole food diet when we are just so time poor and so busy. Yeah, I, I absolutely get that, Emilio. Help, in my speaking, Michelle, in my help. speaking engagements, I always talk about, you know, I worked at Microsoft when I had three young children and I was traveling constantly and my dress size was anywhere from a size 10 to a size 20. And, and I show photos of me and people go, wow. And I say, I really understand this because that was me. So the first thing I really encourage women to do is to one, Be kind to yourself, right? Start to nourish yourself and put the parameters of well-being and vitality and energy and purpose and good heart and the ability to connect and listen as your priority of well-being. Secondly, realize that you can't fail at this thing called nutrition. If you stuff up and you have a binge night or a bad night, you know what? Stop beating yourself up actually be in it and enjoy it and pick up at your next meal and then just get back on it. Because the more you get back on it, the more you'll want to be on it. I still have nights of of binge eating or one too many pinots or something like that. But less and less because you get in that habit and you get addicted to that feeling of well-being. But third thing that's the most important aspect of creating a lifetime of good habits. I don't want to teach a fad diet. I want to teach a lifetime of things. So that's why my this my next book is called Eat, Drink, and Still Shrink because I want people to be able to have a bit of coffee and a bit of wine and create such good habits that it's just easy to do. It's not healthy. It's just their norm. But that requires time and planning in the beginning. But what in your life have you not embraced and loved, whether it's your profession, the, the planning your marriage, your, your partner, your children, hasn't taken time in planning. Everything that is of utmost important to us has required some time in planning. The most important thing in our world, even more than our children, our relationships, is our health. Because if we don't have our mental health and our physical health, There is no way that we can have connections to all those things that we love. So we need to take some time. So what I suggest to people is seek out podcasts, seek out books, seek out a speaker, seek out a clinical practice where you can relate to that person who, you know, when you're listening to them go, wow, she's really resonating with me or he's really resonating with me and take it slow. Because when you start to create micro changes that don't feel painful, that feel so doable, and then are often tasty, you're like, hmm, I'm doing this thing. I can do this again, and I can do this again. And, you know, some nights it's not perfect. I say to people all the time, I may say to people, please eat real whole food, unpackaged and unprocessed. But then I also say, but remember, I have three children, a dumb dog and a hundred loads of laundry. I'm just like the rest of you and I don't always get it right. But I try to now always double my recipes, sometimes triple my recipes. Every recipe at a healthy view is tasty, easy and affordable. And if it's not, it's not in our books. It's not in our philosophy. It's not in our practice. Because if it's tasty, easy, and affordable, it's repeatable. And repeatable becomes a habit. 
habit is just so important because that's the difference between trying and not trying. I've really noticed that over the years for me, I even get down to an art where I tend to, with my family, do a big online shop once a week uh, on a Monday morning and plan out the week's meals in advance. Yes. Um, And for some people listening, they might go, oh, you know, I don't like doing online because I like to squeeze the fruit or I, you know, like to look at the produce. But for me, I prefer to make that sacrifice knowing that in the fridge is my week's meals. And, you know, we just know that we're going to be having fish a couple of nights. We're going to have red meat one night. We're going to have chicken one night. We're going to have meat free one night. And once you start to create your own little patterns, you don't have to think so hard. Absolutely. We waste so much time and energy shopping and thinking and overreacting. Oh, am I, is it healthy? You're absolutely correct, Amelia. Once we get this little bit of a plan going and we get some kind of, okay, well, for me, I still am the kind of person that likes to touch their food, right? So I might just do that once a week now because I've got it down to a fine science. I know that we eat a lot of eggs. We, you know, so you, you, you get into a pattern and all of a sudden you start to realize, gee, I used to waste a lot of time. And also the other thing is I think that people overcomplicate healthy meals and nutrition, right? It can be as simple as sweet potatoes, green beans, and a a piece of fish with some beautiful spices on the top. Keep it simple. It doesn't have to be complicated. Keep your complicated meals for a Friday night or a Saturday night when you have some more time, but keep the evening meal Monday through Thursday when you're busy, simple, clean, And you as a mom might be going a little bit lighter on your carb component of your evening meal. I'll get back to that in a minute. But make sure the rest of your family. So, so for example, in our house, we would have, let's say last night, chicken, sweet potatoes, Caesar salad, and a couple of other greens. I would have all of that, but I just wouldn't have an abundance of sweet potatoes. I might just have a couple of bites because I don't need all that carb on board. Because often the next question usually someone will ask me is, what should women be doing here? I don't like women, particularly busy, productive women who need brain clarity. I don't like them going carbless. Like if we start to look at some of the research around going completely carbless, everybody's bio-individual, but I like some women who need energy to have a bit of carbs for breakfast and a bit of carbs for lunch, good quality carbs like your sweet potatoes, your quinoa, your brown rice, your buckwheat bread, but maybe not so much carbs on board at night because we don't need that energy. We don't need that brain clarity and energy at night unless we're studying or something like that. So I think that's a really interesting way to eat, drink, and still shrink is to make sure that your evening meal is still abundant and you might be cooking carbs for the rest of the family, but make sure you're eating enough non-starchy vegetables and proteins and spices and fats, but maybe not too many carbs. And that's a really good point about not overeating because I know for a lot of people when we are tired or stressed. That's the first thing that ends up happening. What are a couple more tips that you might have to help avoid overeating? I know I'm a big tea drinker, a Mm. herbal tea drinker as well. So if I feel like, oh, I've just got that mindless eating craving, I'm not really hungry. I just, you know, am craving something. I'll try to 
have a tea, but I, I get friends and and clients just want to slap me in the face and say, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And um, so I, I do love teas because particularly cinnamon tea and licorice tea are great substitutes for the person who is the sugar muncher, right? So we use licorice and cinnamon um, therapeutically in clinic to be- help balance people's blood sugar. But I also say as people are transitioning to a lower sugar way of life to use those types of teas. But I think the key in um, becoming an overeater or a binge eater is consistency. So again, everybody's bio-individual, but as people are transitioning into a whole food way of life or a, a, a new lifestyle, I like them to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner because this way their blood sugar becomes balanced. And when blood sugar dips, that is usually when we get the sugar monster. Right. So, so we know this to be true. So just think about this. Somebody might have a healthy banana muffin for breakfast, which of course has, you know, 15 teaspoons of hidden sugar and their blood sugar might rocket it up. And then around 9, 30, 10 o'clock, their blood sugar is coming down. They haven't prepared for anything. And when your blood sugar is coming down, people either go into brain fog, get disconnected or get the hangries, right? They want, they look at a vending machine. They want to bang into it. They hope something falls out because they get so hungry. So what I want people to do is avoid that dip. And to avoid that dip, it means including in your breakfast and your lunch, where's your fat, where's your protein, and where's your smart carb? Then if you get to morning tea and you need a bit of protein or fat or something like that, that's fine. But when you have a meal of fat, protein, and smart carb, you're creating a feeling of satiation, right? This message is leptin and ghrelin or other hormones that are all about our hunger that are going to the brain. And our brain is going, gee, wow, that quarter bit of avocado or that half avocado is sending this message signaling to my brain to say, hey, actually, I don't even feel like morning tea. I feel satiated. I feel good. I'm not really hungry. So I really like people as they move into a healthy way of life to go for their breakfast and lunch with fats, protein, and carbs, maybe get to dinner and have protein and non-starchy carbs and a bit of fat. The other thing people often do, Amelia, and you probably see this all the time, is they confuse hunger for thirst. That's a big one. Big one. So I get all of our clients to start every day before they even go to the toilet. They're not even allowed to, even if they're busting, to have a glass of water. Just get one down because the more water we have, the more water we crave. So I think hydration is a big one. And then people who get absolutely crazy in this you know, sugar addiction, and I know because I used to be one, I like them to take a pause and ask themselves, Am I really hungry? Am I just exhausted? Do I need to close my eyes for 15 minutes? Am I thirsty? Or am I angry at somebody? And this have a little pause. And if at the end of those, no, it's I'm really hungry, well then great, go get yourself some tamari almonds, a nice cup of tea, do something that feels nourishing and feels abundant. But check in with yourself, just take a moment of a pause particularly the hydration one is a really important one because also being busy, you're often running around and you forget to drink as well. I just want to ask you, you were talking before about uh, the different um, 
sample meals with your protein and your carb. Can you throw out some example meals and also rough kind of portion sizes? Sure. I think portion sizes are really confusing one for people. Oh, I think so too. I mean, I talk all the time about portion distortion, which of course used to be me when I'd eat it like a kilo of cashews because, you know, I thought they were healthy for me. And they are healthy for us, but, you know, there's a limit to to that. So um, a day in the life of a Healthy View client, which is uh, our business, a Healthy View, would look something like this. It might be some form of eggs for breakfast. It might be poached or hard-boiled. I always say poached or hard-boiled are great because they're least oxidized but you can also have them scrambled. And I'd say, okay, great. So that's your protein. I love eggs. My children are always joking with me. They say, mom, your next book is going to be 365 ways to cook an egg. So I love eggs as a nice protein and couple that maybe with a bit of um, avocado or guacamole. Um, I like to put a little bit of seasoning on top or a bit of pesto because I eat eggs often. So I like to change the, the taste of that. And then for my carb for breakfast or our client's carb, I'll often talk about a bit of roast vegetables that perhaps their family had the night before or just a simple piece of buckwheat toast. Um so people will often say that, so Michelle, are you always recommending a gluten-free breakfast? And I say, no, but often our patients will come in with some type of inflammatory condition. So quite often in the beginning, we will get people to go on gluten-free and then transition them back onto a bit more wheat and see how their body tolerates that. I always say, hey, I come from an Italian mother and a French father. If I started discriminating against bread, I'd be excommunicated from the family. Um, So that might be what breakfast looks like. Lunch in our clinical practice, not only for those of us that work there, but for all all our clients, is often what we had for dinner the night before. In fact, in many of my programs and many of my books, I will have the recipe for the evening meal, and then there'll be a um, subdivision of that recipe, which will say how to turn this into lunch the next day. Perfect. Yeah. So just keeping it simple, keeping it uncomplicated. People often ask me, why do you think people don't step into a newer, healthier way? Stopping people. And what's stopping people, Amelia, is the fact that they think it's complicated. And if we uncomplicated for them, people will be so much more invited to move into that space. Um, well, I couldn't agree more with you about simplifying it. And particularly with food, it doesn't have to be complicated for it to taste beautiful and be good for us as well. Um, uh, I do want to ask you quickly also about alcohol mm. and, you know, eat, drink and still shrink. Yes. So you obviously don't mind uh, a tipple here and there. Oh, I love a glass of red wine. Love Great. a glass of red wine. But like anything, Amelia, like we were just talking about with portion distortion, everything in moderation, right? So I am Cure Cancer's, one of their ambassadors for many reasons. And um, really across um, lots of well, I also am a very much an evidence-based researcher. I don't know if you know this, Amelia, but I dedicate the proceeds of of um, my books to Deakin University. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, because I'm such, I'm a mad researcher, and Deakin University has the best research going on nutritionally in the world. Um, so here's my thoughts about having um, alcohol. I like all of our clients to have at least two nights alcohol-free. 
Um, in the healthy hormone diet, I really encourage people to take 28 days to try to go alcohol-free. But if you have a little bit every now and again, that's okay. Um, so, I, I, but I do talk a lot about cocktails are just big sugar bombs, right? So if you're going to be enjoying wine, you know, your white wines and your red wines will be lower sugar than, of course, any of your cocktails. So, and the other thing is I also like a bit of coffee. So I always encourage all of our clients to go to black coffee or three-quarter lattes or three-quarter cappuccinos to try to reduce the amount of milk. Um a2 milk will have a less inflammatory effect on the body. Low fat, full no, fat? No, never, never low fat anything. Why is that? When we strip the fat out of something, we tend to get a higher sugar content, right? So this could be a whole new podcast, is that what happened during the stage of low fat and no fat worldwide, when that started to become a, a trend because cardiovascular researchers and cardiovascular specialists and the World Health Organization even had started to think, wow, gee, big links between fat and, and cardiovascular disease. Now that has totally been debunked. But when that trend was happening, as fat was being pulled out of products, the product became tasteless. So what ended up happening is manufacturers would be able to say low fat or no fat, but they would put an abundance of hidden sugars in. So something, a kilo bag of fat-free snakes can be fat-free, but they can have an enormous high sugar content. So really being careful of marketing that's out there. The same with things that are marketed as gluten-free a lot of times they're just full of rubbish. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you're going to go gluten-free, you do have to start to wean yourself mm. off your pastas and you know off, off your breads and off mm. those really carb-heavy or gluten-heavy meals and start to go down that more varied vegetable and, yes. and meat approach. So I'm going to have to wrap up here. I could talk to you all day. Oh, my goodness, there's just so <laughs> many amazing angles we could go down. But for those of us who are struggling with our post-baby weight or our hormones or our energy, what are some first steps that we can take? Okay, so the first thing that I would say is try to eliminate as much as possible packaged and processed foods. So that's the first thing. And when you're not, when you're picking up something that's grab and go, please read the label. If the label looks like it is from a chemical manufacturing plant, then think about why would I do that to my body, right? Why would I do that to my skin, my hair, my body, et cetera? And then maybe just pick up a banana or, or an apple. So that's, that's firstly. And then secondly, think about maybe two maybe two micro changes that you can make in your life a week, but just start with week one. So it might just be move to real food and then two things. So for example, we just had a woman who was dealing with um, three children and th three pregnancies, but her third pregnancy was um, twins. And so I said to her, rather than thinking about all of these things that you want to improve, why don't we talk about real food and then increasing your hydration and increasing the amount you sleep? And she said, oh, but I'm so busy. And I said, why don't you just chunk it down to 
instead of going to bed at 10 o'clock at night, why don't you just move to 9.45? Just a small improvement. And once you can do those three steps for about a week or two, then add on one more step. And that one more step might be, okay, being really careful about having, where's my fat? Where's my protein? Where's my smart carb at breakfast and lunch? And then for dinner, where's my protein? Where's my non-starchy vegetables? But chunk it down and make those micro changes so small that they're doable and not too painful. Mm, and they're sustainable as well then. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And would you suggest that they focus, those micro changes may be the, the areas that they come most undone, whether that be, for me personally, I've got a massive sweet tooth after dinner. Mm. And so I've got this whole little toolkit of healthy desserts that it's taken me a long time yes. to, you know, instead of binging on ice cream, I will, um, you know, I make homemade rice pudding uh, and I'll put chia seeds in it to increase the protein and, and fat count, but I keep the portion sizes down. So would you suggest you maybe look at some of your kind of biggest downfall areas and start with the micro changes there? Absolutely. 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 And if you know that that is your, you know, if, if your vice is your sugar monster coming at you, uh, make sure you've planned for that. As you said, whether it's a chia seed pudding or it's a tea that I love, which is Bengal spice or a licorice tea, but also being aware of when you have those sugar cravings and why, right? So one, checking in with yourself mentally, why are you having that? And this is something that we didn't touch on, but I, but I, it needs to be said. I'll often ask people, if they say, Michelle, after dinner, I always have a sugar craving, or at three o'clock, I always have a sugar craving, I will say, did you have enough in your meal? Did you have enough fat? Did you have enough protein? Because those things aren't going to put on weight. The abundance of carbohydrates will. But often people will have a bird-like meal at lunch. And of course, at three o'clock, they are ravenous. They're chewing their fingers off. And if I question them, did they actually have a substantial bit of protein, a substantial bit of fat? They'll often say no. And I'll say, well, rework that, change that around and trust the process and then see if the sugar cravings diminish and they'll often come back and they'll go, bingo, that was it. I love it, Michelle. Thank you so much for coming on today. That was fascinating. Thank you for having me. Healthy Her was presented by me, Amelia Phillips, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Live Proud, sound production by Matt Nikolic. Theme music composed by Matthew Dwyer, executive producer Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au. Download the free Podcast One Australia app or search Healthy Her. And for more tips and insights on this topic, visit my show notes at ameliaphillips.com.au.